0: So we've come to the end of chapter 7 of Romans, and we're about to move into chapter 8. But there's a trap, and <laughs> as you know, there's always a trap when it comes to truth. There was, There is always the uh, other side of the coin, which is error. And uh, what people might fall into, and what you might fall into, and what I did for many years, is that Romans 7 is well that's the law and we're dead to that now and that's the past that's our old life and now comes the new life described in chapter 8 where now where we're now in the spirit well if you've understood anything i've said so far rather if you've understood anything paul has written in chapter 7 that is completely off the charts because Romans 7 is a description of life that is happening at the same time as Romans 8 is a description of life. In other words, we are in our humanity, in our natural state, under this burden of the law which we need to be freed from, and now we are freed from it even though even though that humanity still exists but we are counted as not being charged by it because the law we are in a relationship to the law of death so that we are now in the resurrection of Jesus you see what paul is doing in chapter 7 and 8 is what he did in chapter 5 you remember where he said that uh, Uh, Verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, that's Adam's, of course, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. That's Adam's kingdom of sin and death came upon us all and brought condemnation to all. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. That's Jesus Christ's righteous life and death and resurrection, to all men, resulting in justification of life. Well, does that mean that we were previously under the Kingdom of Adam, and now we're in the Kingdom of Christ, or does that mean what it obviously does mean that we are in the kingdom of Adam because we die and we get sick and we do wrong and we get uh, uh, do mistakes and things tragedies happen? that's sin and death. Does that end? No, it doesn't. It still goes on, but it's not counted as ours anymore. And we are now counted in the righteousness of Christ. And so we live in the two kingdoms, but we're not charged as guilty in regard to one of them, and we are charged as innocent in regard to the other of them. And so this is what we want to look at. We don't want to look at Romans 7 as a past experience, but something that we affirm every day, that our human nature will respond to the law in such a way that it will excite sin and it will go wrong and that the human nature is tempted by the law. That is, by our sense of right and wrong and that we must be better and do better, and uh, we want to be uh, perfectly obedient to the law, and yet that desire itself creates the, the situation in which we actually fall back into sin. That is a reality that we need to live with. Now, if you're not sure that I'm on target here, then look at verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now... Wait a minute. Let's not go any further than that. Why does he say therefore? Because he's summarizing chapter 7. Don't fall trap to the idea that chap- the chapter divisions indicate a change of subject. They are simply conveniences that the translators put in, but they were not there in the original. There are no chapters in the original. When Paul says there is therefore, he is actually summarizing chapter 7. Well, that's revealing, isn't it? Well, what is he summarizing? What is his summary, rather? Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. Well... Did you expect chapter 8? Rather, did you expect the summary of chapter 7 to be that there is no condemnation? (laughs) That's exactly what it is saying. When we are freed from the law, uh, dead to the law, no longer charged under its jurisdiction, when we are no longer charged with guilt, and shame and failure and defeat and sin because the law cannot charge us because we're counted as having been already executed in the death of Jesus Christ, then there is no condemnation. Well, let's try to stay with this beautiful truth for a moment that there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing statement that is. You and I, on a regular basis, if we are sufficiently cognizant of our own mind, if we're sufficiently aware of how we think and how we feel, and are not simply in denial all the time, are aware of our sense of sin and our sense of guilt, and shame and fear. And if we really knew ourselves, we would be surprised at how much that brings us down in depression, and uh, frustration, and uh, a feeling of ill-desert and unworthiness from uh, that God that we're not worthy of God's love, and we're not worthy of God's love. But to be to be pulled down by that constantly is what happens when we forget that there's no condemnation. Our Heavenly Father knows the plight of every human being born on this planet. Our Heavenly Father knows that not a single human being asked to be born. Think of that. I mean, if we were pre-existent beings, uh, wouldn't it have been nice If we had been asked, would you like to go to Earth and live there for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years? But we weren't asked. We weren't pre-existent beings anyway. We simply landed here and found ourselves, as once we became aware of life, in a mess. And the mess... Included our own guilt and shame for embracing the mess because we're not simply victims to the mess we embrace it and we live in it and we relish it a long time until we finally come to our senses and are born again and converted and so here we are in a mess we didn't choose and yet we are in judgment for it because then we embraced it And then comes the good news about Jesus. The Lord in heaven, our Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, must have had conversations at one time or another in eternity, saying, what shall we do? Of course, I'm speaking humanistically, or rather uh, um, humanizing our our Trinity. But uh, they must have had conversations, as it were, that said, what shall we do to help our human family, our creation, to not die in despair? How can we help them to live and endure in that world of ours until I bring my kingdom? And the conversation sort of turned around, and Jesus said, I will offer myself as a sacrifice. I know I'm talking... uh, in a a very human way here, of God. But it's as if Jesus said, I want to go down there and take the burden off them. I want to represent every single human being on the planet. I want to be a human like them. And I want to die for their sins. And I want to rise again to give them hope that this world, though it is such a broken place and brings death, will finally bring eternal life to them through the resurrection that I am going to bring. And so this is what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did. They came to the world, and Jesus represented us and substituted for us. And so when he went to his death, it is as if we did. And that means that there's no condemnation. Now, of course, my mind still will not believe that. Faith alone believes that, not my natural mind. My mind is so used to thinking in the gutter, so used to uh, endlessly uh, whipping itself in order to get some productivity out of myself. It is so used to doing that that we cannot naturally receive the message that there's no condemnation. But it's true. And I need to speak into my mind. I need to say to my mind, stop it. You may not continue your rattling on. There is no more condemnation for me in Jesus Christ. And then lift up your heart to God and say, and your mind to God, Father, I thank you that though my mind is accusing me right now, there is no condemnation. And because there's no condemnation, I'm going to acknowledge my sins and my wrongdoing and put them right as best I can but I'm not going to come under condemnation because that is what Satan wants he's the accuser you are not dear father you vindicate you declare the race the human race innocent in Christ Jesus and you have given me the good news that enables me to believe it and so we affirm this enormous truth. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, that's not a complicated issue. Years ago in my perfectionism, I used to think that was a very complicated issue. I had to get up early in the morning, maybe four o'clock, read a couple of hours before going to class or uh, work, um, make sure I ate right and did the good things and avoided sin and and, and the temptations of the world, and fulfilled all my commitments to the church, and did everything right. That was what made me in Christ Jesus. No, it's not. That's the result of being in him, perhaps. But being in him is a simple act of faith. Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you have taken my judgment upon yourself at the cross. I believe that. Jesus, you rose from the dead on my behalf so that when I die I will rise in your kingdom and when the kingdom comes I will rise with my f- physical, new physical body without any corruption. I will live for eternity with you. Being in Christ Jesus then is an act of faith And that's as simple as it gets, and it's as simple as it needs to be. If your church starts complicating your being in Christ Jesus, then simply look to the cross and cast your eye over to the left or right where that sinner said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I say to you today, You will be with me in paradise. That is the simplicity of being in Jesus. Thanks for listening in today. Colin Cook here. Thank you for listening to my program, which you can hear on your smartphone. Simply download a free app Uh, Spotify or podbean.com or soundcloud.com and key in how it happens with Colin Cook when you get there. Please think about a donation to keep the program going. It costs $39 per 15 minutes, $200 for a week, about 890 to 900 for a month. You can send your donation to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160, or you can make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. See you next time. Cheerio and God bless.